This is KOOP HD1 HD3 Hornsby. Welcome to the Austin Chronicle Show. My name is Mike Clark-Madison. I'm the news editor of the Austin Chronicle, Austin's independent source of news and cultural reporting since 1981. Today, we're going to talk about a story that the Chronicle has covered for nearly half that time, but which is now making headlines all over the world. The case of Rodney Reed, convicted and sentenced to death for the 1996 murder of Stacey Stites, a sentence that is scheduled to be carried out next week. Rodney Reed has, from the very beginning, asserted his innocence and offered evidence to support an alternative scenario for Stacey's murder. But his appeals to date have been futile. Right now, there's enormous pressure on Texas Governor Greg Abbott from celebrities, Republican lawmakers, and justice advocates, as well as Rodney's family and community, to give Rodney Reed a reprieve to examine new evidence in the case and to pursue justice to his potential exoneration. So we're going to talk about that today. With me in the studio are my colleague at the Chronicle News Desk, Sarah Marloff. Hi. And Brant Bingaman, the author of this week's cover story on Rodney Reed. Brant, let me start talking to you. Remind the listeners who may not have been here in 1996 or following along, what what is the crime that's at the heart of this case? The crime... Rodney Reed was convicted of killing Stacey Stites in 1998. The crime occurred in 1996. She was found strangled on the side of a rural road outside of Bastrop. And for 11 months, the crime went unsolved. And finally, they found Rodney Reed's semen inside. They matched the semen that was inside Stites' body to Rodney Reed. And on the strength of that evidence, pretty much alone, they convicted him of the rape and murder, and they sentenced him to death. And to reinforce that point, it is that evidence alone, the DNA match, that is the foundation of the state's case against Rodney Reed. That's correct. They had to create a scenario that explained the crime. All they had to do so was the semen, the time at which they believed that she had been traveling to work, and, um, and the body, I suppose. I, those, those things were it. So what they decided was, what the prosecutors decided, was that since she had to travel to work and be in uh, the Bastrop HEB by 4 o'clock in the morning, that... Uh, she was traveling from Giddings, so that's it's correct. about 30 miles away. She was traveling from Giddings, so she had a 30-minute drive, Somehow, Rodney Reed stopped her as she was on the way to work, got into the truck with her that she was driving, raped her, killed her, dumped the body, and then abandoned the truck, all within a little two-hour time frame between 3 and 5 a.m. because they found, a patrolman found the truck abandoned at 5 a.m. in a high school parking lot in Bastrop. So, and uh, the, the timeline for when she went to work was provided by her fiancé at the time, Jimmy Fennell, and uh, that was her routine. She left around 2.45 each morning to get to work. So they said that was the, the window 
when the crime occurred. Um, that's what they said. Later on, other evidence came to light that suggested that was incorrect. Right, and that originally the suspect in the crime was Jimmy Fennell. Mm-hmm. And over the years since, the alternative scenario for the murder of Stacey Stites has been that Jimmy Fennell, her fiancé, murdered her, and Rodney Reed has been framed, effectively, to take responsibility for that crime. So what's that crime scenario if Jimmy Fennell did it? If Jimmy Fennell did it... Um, and Can the we forin- give some background about who Jimmy Fennell is, too? Jimmy Fennell is her fiancé. He is, at this point in 1996, a brand-new Giddings police officer. And um, he and Stacy Stites are living together in Giddings in an apartment upstairs from Stacy's mother in Giddings. That is correct. And, of course, during the trial, it was sold um, that their relationship was a healthy one, a strong one. They were happy together. But to answer your question from a moment ago, the way that it would have worked if Fennell killed her is he would have killed her. The, her mother saw them um, go into their apartment around dusk the evening before her body was found. So he would have killed her around 11 p.m. or midnight and then left the body laying there for several hours before taking it and dumping it. That was supported by evidence found by Bryce Bingett and his team of lawyers who are Rodney Reed's lawyers. And the way that they discovered that that was a possibility was that they found this, these markings on Stite's body called lividity, which is a process that happens after the body dies where blood pools and makes markings on the skin that, that resemble bruises. What they saw on the crime scene photos, this was like a decade after uh, Reed had gone on to death row, they, they saw these, um, these splotches on Stite's body on the front, on the top of her body from the crime scene photos. This meant that she hadn't been killed at 3 a.m. because that takes four hours for, that, for those types of marks to appear. And it also meant that she had been laying face down Mm-hmm. And she was found on her back, right? And that's correct. Right. So this kind of blows up the theory of the case that Rodney Reed, who, as you said, would, in the state's argument, was unarmed, um, on foot, entered the truck, stopped her, entered the truck, a woman who he, according to the state, did not know, raped and murdered her, etc. Now... Of course, the core of the case is that Rodney Reed says that he did know Stacy Stites, and that's what explains the semen. So, correct. <laughs> yes, and shall I shall I you explain can, that? You you can go. From Very that. good. Um, so yes, Reed says that he was having um, an affair with Stites, and he had some people ready to testify that this was the case in his original trial. But for kind of murky reasons uh, attributed to police intimidation, they didn't wind up going on the stand. Two people wound up testifying to it at the trial, and they weren't particularly convincing. Later on, the people that were ready to testify at trial were bundled into Reed's appeals, and then the, uh, the judges who ruled on the appeals said that they weren't convincing. But at any rate, he was supposedly having an affair with her, he had sex with her the night before she was killed, 
And that was the explanation for how the semen was in her body. Right. So that would explain that one piece of evidence, the DNA evidence that the prosecution called the Cinderella slipper in this case, that meant it had to be read and nobody else. All of the other evidence in the case circumstantially supports the narrative that Jimmy Fennell is potentially the most likely suspect. So what happens, Rodney Reed is convicted and he is sent to death row. Later on, as he's sitting there and as appeals are, you know, being prepared and then not considered or denied, we find out some more information about Jimmy Fennell. Sarah? Um, I think it was in 19, early 2000s, mm-hmm. uh, after Stacy was murdered, Fennell was basically caught and tried and spent 10 years in jail for kidnapping and raping a woman in Georgetown while, on, while serving as a police officer and on duty. Um, which I think definitely gives you a hint of who this guy is. And in my reporting as someone who's covered sexual assault, most rapists aren't a one-time occurrence. Right. So, And so the at the original trial, Rodney Reed was convicted based on the DNA evidence, but his sentencing, in the sentencing phase that led to him being sentenced, put on death row— feature testimony from a number of, I guess, a number of women who the state claimed he had sexually assaulted. He had not been convicted of any of those crimes. He had only even been charged with one of them. Now, later on, we have Jimmy Fennell, who was actually convicted and sentenced and served time Mm -hmm. for a rape. So how did that play into uh, efforts to kind of bring brought the question of Rodney's innocence back before the courts? I mean, in my opinion, it's hard for me because I think that like, I always go into saying, like, you should believe survivors. And so I have a hard time with anyone saying that they were sexually assaulted and disbelieving them or saying there was no proof. Um, however, a criminal justice system says that, like, if they're not found guilty, then they're not guilty. Um, regardless... Reed should not be on death row, even if he is a rapist. Mm -hmm. But what we do know for fact, and found again, guilty by trial, Mm -hmm. that Fennell is abusive and violent to women. And I believe some of the stuff that has come up recently that Brandt has covered has also helped give us a better outline of Fennell's history of being abusive and demeaning to women. Yes, that's correct. Binget has found seven, no, it's eight new wit- new witnesses in the last month and a half. And um, I think seven of them, their testimony bears on Fennell's character and presents it in a very bad light. And um, we could get into that testimony if you'd like, but I think it's a great point to say that even if Reed had raped people, you don't want to convict him for a crime he didn't commit, you know, convict him for the crime he did commit. Right, right, that this isn't a capital crime. Uh, And I think what all of this is saying, you know, that we haven't brought up yet, and I'm sure we're going to, but it's very 
If Rodney Reed was white, I don't think he'd be where he is you today. You took the words right out of my mouth, Sarah Marloff. <laughs> Next thing I was going to say is what we haven't pointed out, <laughs> but you know if you've been following the case, is that Rodney Reed is African-American and Jimmy Finnell and Stacey Stites are white. So that is a larger narrative of this case that is impossible to ignore. And certainly Latter-day advocacy around the case has picked up on it. Sean King is describing this case as the real-life two-kill-a-mockingbird, which is a little unfair to Rodney Reed. But yes, I mean, you, you look at a case that seems to have been dealt with quickly, without a great deal of thought, you know, deemed to be over once they got this DNA match, and carried along by you know, implicit structural racial bias that made it very easy for Rodney Reed to be convicted mm-hmm. and then to just languish. And I guess part of the, the, the story here is that it's been 20 years and a lot of this evidence has come to light throughout those 20 years. But from the beginning, the alternate scenario in this case that Jimmy Fennell murdered his fiance for reasons whatever has been there and it just wasn't believed or wasn't investigated is that what the record shows pretty much i mean it could be that more than it just wasn't believed that it was covered up that it was covered up like yeah. you say there's um a lot of suspicion in the bastrop community that uh, the police protected Fennell. Can you talk about that? Like the two guys who were involved? Oh, um, Ed Salmela and, and David Hall? Yeah. Yes. This, this verges on conspiracy theory stuff, but it is extremely interesting. They found two beer cans, empty beer cans, near Stite's body at the time of her murder, and they tested those cans for DNA. The way that it worked was kind of confusing, but um, the prosecution had... Uh, a person there to test this, um, one of the swabs, and the defense did as well. They went their separate ways, and they tested the swabs. The prosecution's wit, um, expert found the DNA of Fennell's best friend, or one of his close friends, David Hall, who was also a Giddings police officer, and a Bastrop police officer, investigator uh, Ed Salmella, who actually investigated the case. They found their DNA on on those cans, they sent that information along to, to the prosecutors. The prosecutors never shared it with the defense team. They said because they were confused. It was in the middle of the trial, too. They were still testing DNA while the trial was taking place. Right. And the defense was also testing DNA and wasn't coming up with these same results. That's correct. So, so they didn't have that information. Right. The defense didn't. And they need, and the prosecutors were supposed to. Of course, they're supposed to share it right. with the defense. They didn't do so. And this was uh, an element of Reed's appeals early on. And ultimately, the judges decided that since the defense had the evidence sort of that, mm-hmm. that it hadn't, and since the prosecutors didn't mean not to share the evidence. Well, if they didn't mean to. <laughs> they just overlooked this potential evidence that would explain how Jimmy Fennell, again, you know, implausibility is the scenario that if he had murdered Stacy in their apartment, dumped her body in his truck along the road, and then abandoned his truck in Bastrop, 
How did he get back to Giddings? Well, this is your answer. That's correct. And that was the big, big thing that investigators couldn't answer when they were looking at Fennell as the suspect initially. They couldn't figure out how had Fennell gotten back to Giddings. And this is um, a possible explanation for it, although, you know, again, it's, it's confusing. It is confusing, but, you know, there's a lot of reasonable doubt around the circumstances of this case. We have got some announcements to get to, and we'll be back after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Austin Chronicle Show. We're in the studios of Co-op Community Radio, KOOP 91.7 in Austin, live streaming through koop.org. I'm Mike Clark-Madison, news editor of the Austin Chronicle, and we're back with my colleagues Sarah Marloff and Brand Bingaman to talk more about the case of Rodney Reed, who is scheduled to be executed next Wednesday for a crime many people believe he didn't commit for which almost nobody thinks he got a fair trial, and he's been trying to gain his freedom for more than 20 years. And right now, at this last minute, his attorneys are filing motions dealing with a whole bunch of evidence and new information that was not part of this trial story before. Can you talk a little bit about that, Brent? Yes, I think this might be his 10th habeas petition. Yeah. you know, a habeas petition, you can bring any type of information before the court, but they're probably not going to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. That's the way that works. But um, he, th- as I said earlier, Benjit and his team have found eight new witnesses since October, and that's in addition to three witnesses that they found in 2015. None of them have a motive to help Reed, which was one of the things that made the judges initially dismiss all of the other witnesses who had come forward with the uh, information about the affair. In the original trial. In the original trial. These witnesses say a variety of things, but it all boils down to Stacy and Jimmy did not have a great relationship. Jimmy was abusive. He was angry. He was confrontational. And um, Stacy was afraid of him. That's what, uh, taken all together... The testimony and he was says, and he was, and yes, he was, and he was racist. racist. Well, that goes without saying. Yeah. And yeah. Stacy was nineteen. We should remember yeah. at the yes. time of her and murder. Fennel, I think, was twenty-three or something yeah. like that. But probably the most. Uh, it depends on on how much weight you give to the type of person making the testimony. But uh, because uh, some of these witnesses are police officers, three of them are police officers, and they have nothing to gain, obviously, by um, by coming forward. So that sort of testimony is very persuasive. But one of the people who's testified is a career criminal who said that Fennell confessed the murder to him in 2010. That's an interesting piece of information just because it's a flat-out confession. Right. That's when he was in prison for the crime that we discussed earlier in the show, that he had raped and kidnapped a woman when he was a Georgetown police officer. When he was in jail, he sidled up to this other informant who was a uh, Aryan Brotherhood chief, right? That's correct. Fennel went away to jail in 20 in 2008 in, tw- in 2010, he was in Cuero in jail with uh, Arthur Snow, who was a high-ranking member of the Aryan Brotherhood. He went to Snow looking for protection. Snow said, "Sure, we'll cut a deal. You give us <laughs> your commissary, which means I guess you the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You give us the food, we'll give you the protection." Um, this was before Snow knew that he was a police officer who had been, who had gone to jail for rape. Mm-hmm. 
And so they're walking the track one day at the jail, and um, Fennell said, I had to kill my <laughs> How do you say this? I had to kill my fiance. Yes. Because she was having an affair with a black man. Yes. That's what he said. And then, of course, they found out, Snow found out, then everyone found out that he was a police officer. Snow could no longer protect him. Right. And so there's all of these witness testimony, but there's also still physical evidence dating all the way back from 1996 that is still around and has not been tested, including the actual murder weapon. Sarah? Um, yeah, I believe the belt, which Stacy was strangled with, um, has never been tested. Um, the force of which she was strangled broke the belt in two. And there was, like, mishandlings. Like, I think there's the chain of, like, who had the belt has so the chain murky. chain of custody. chain of custody has yeah. gotten so murky that... The state continues to argue that basically a te- DNA testing won't result in any new findings. But also, like, why wasn't it just tested in 1998 or 1996? And I think I forgot this until reading Brant's story again this week. But they've never searched or the house that Fennell and Stites lived in together. Right. Which is also a little unnerving. Yeah, and they didn't completely search his truck. Yes. So the belt, you know, the testing could exclude mm-hmm. Reed. Right. I mean, it wouldn't exclude Fennell because they live together, but it could exclude Reed. If he's not there, then it would be kind of hard to explain. Now, again, these are things that have happened over 20 years. The Chronicle has reported on this story since 2001. Yeah. But in the last couple of weeks— it has become a much different and bigger story. I mean, all three of us have written about Rodney Reed at various times for the Austin Chronicle. But in the last month, let's say, we've you know seen this order of magnitude escalation in interest of this case. So who, who isn't now weighing in? Who isn't? Um, you already said Sean King. Kim Kardashian West has... I apparently not only like tweeted at Abbott, but has also like talked to Rodney Reed's brother on the phone. Beyonce has shared photos and asking for his exoneration. I believe photos that were taken by Chronicle photographer Jana Bertram. That's correct. Um, Rihanna, I'm forgetting names. Oprah. 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 <laughs> but also, I mean, yes, yeah, celebrities, but also people who may have more uh, influence on Greg Abbott. Oh, you mean like Ted Cruz? Maybe him yeah. or Brent. <laughs> or uh, Mike McCall, I think yesterday mm-hmm. came out mm-hmm. in support of a reprieve and a whole bunch of Texas House reps and senators. Mm-hmm. Uh, half of them, you know, I suppose it was what were the numbers? It was something like 20 or 24 Republicans came out. Yeah. yeah. So a number of Republican lawmakers, including people who have never expressed any opposition to that penalty before. Right. And Michael McCall, who is, of course, congressman that represents part of Austin, but back in the day, back pretty much around the time that the trial was happening, he was a assistant attorney general of the state mm. working in the death penalty unit. So he knows the subject, and he is saying that he would not feel comfortable with the sentence being carried out. So this is what we're waiting for right now is between now and Wednesday, what is it that Greg Abbott is going to do? 
And what can he do on his own is grant a 30-day reprieve of the execution. And that's all he can do. Beyond that, he needs a recommendation from the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And that uh, filing was made last week, right? That's correct. And the clemency application, including all of these witness statements that we were talking about earlier, including Arthur Snow, is in front of the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And a lot of these letters from Republican lawmakers and other influencers are going to that board. They can recommend that the governor commutes the sentence to some term of imprisonment or – but they can't recommend – they cannot order that he get a new trial. But that's another question that – is being pursued in different filings, right? I suppose so. I mean, I, I know that there's um, there's an appeal before the Supreme Court, and that's probably where he could get a, a, a retrial. Right. And there's now one, that's the one that just happened this week, is there's now one before the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals too, right? right? I there, don't know what that one there is. There is. Is yeah. there one before the Fifth Circuit Court? I, I don't think there is one. I don't one. think the Fifth Circuit has one right now. Right. There's yeah. lots of... Most of the courts involved, and the original trial court in Bastrop. So the reason this is important is that ultimately, if Rodney Reed is innocent, then what has to happen for him to be freed at this point? He needs to obviously not be executed, but he... His sentence needs to be thrown out, or he needs to be retried and found not guilty, or the state, meaning the Bastrop district attorney, needs to say that they're not going to retry him if that is what's put before them and get to the point where a declaration could be made about actual innocence. And that's all still to be determined, right? Yes, and well put. I don't think there's anything I can add to that. Those are the options. How long do you guys think that could take? Well, how long has it taken in cases before? I mean, I know of other cases that the Chronicle covered, Anthony Graves, when he was exonerated. That was probably about four years between death row and actual innocence free man. So it could be a while. But one of the courts has to step up and Mm -hmm. order the retrial. Right. Yep. This is the third time that Rodney Reed has gotten this close to being executed. So he's his family has been fighting for his release and for justice, his claims of innocence from the beginning and continue to this day for have done so for the last 20 years and they will continue to be doing so i think probably there will be events happening last night there was an all-night vigil at the texas governor's mansion um and i believe also at the supreme court in dc um and i haven't heard anything else happening as of yet there's bound to be things that are going to be happening every day right up until wednesday right i I should point out that sarah marloff is also our civics 101 coordinator at the Austin Chronicle. So she does know when these events happen. She is the source of this information. So we'll know. And you can find out yourself if you look at austinchronicle.com. We will know by next week what happens. So thank you so much, Sarah Marloff, Brant Bingaman, for contributing to that conversation. I wanted to point out to you, 
reminder to Chronicle readers that we are conducting a reader survey right now of the Austin Chronicle. You can find a copy of the survey in this week's issue as well as online at austinchronicle.com. Again, thanks to my guests, Brant Bingham and Sir Marloff. Thanks to Bob Daly for working the board today. And thanks to Kevin Curtin and Jonas Wilson for writing our theme music. Kim Jones will be back with you next week. So long from the Austin Chronicle.